I'm Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. First up, I just want to apologize for another delay. Uh, those who tune in regularly will know that uh, there was no episode in the past week. Uh, we had some last-minute postponements and cancellations, uh, and it was just too late to call in another guest. I'm a little ticked off about that, and it's it's kind of hard. Uh, probably the hardest part of the show is to get all the guests scheduled in and, and make sure they show up on time. But the reality is this is the music industry, and they are artists, so it's kind of hard to rely on people like that sometimes, but I'll do what I can, and hopefully I can keep it weekly as much as possible. If not, I'll change to a bi-weekly format or something like that. Anyway, on to bigger and better things. This week's guests are John Hester and the return of Kyle Geiger. John Hester is a friend of mine that I've known since the early 2000s. We didn't necessarily grow up together, so to speak, but we spent a good part of our 20s together in Minneapolis, back in the United States. Um, You know, he's a guy that has kind of worn all the hats, and uh, if you don't know him yet, you know, there's a good chance that you're going to get to know him uh, soon enough. He's a DJ, he's a producer. He was a promoter back in Minneapolis. He's uh, shared some of the work that comes with running a record label. And it's also worth noting that he's a DJ that actually dances. And uh, dances better than most people. Um, You know, uh, Hester and I have booked each other at our parties in Minneapolis over a decade ago. As a promoter, he also brought in acts like uh, Daniel Bell and Ryan Elliott. Um, I used to do, well, the party still runs. It's called Communion in Minneapolis. It's a Sunday open-air party that started off on rooftops, kind of like something you'd find in Miami or Ibiza. Um, We used to do that every Sunday, and we'd have him out two or three times a summer, and he always hit the vibe perfectly. Uh, He's a really good DJ that really has a good range to his sound, so he can do a variety of different things. And when it was time to do my uh, album release party a while back, which I can't remember if that was a live set or not, I had him open up for me at Trezor. So that's John. We'll get to know him shortly. Um, The other part of it is that he, you know, these days we're both living in Berlin, and his profile seems to be finally picking up some much-deserved steam. Um, on top of already having a few releases out that uh, he'll bring up in the podcast. He has a new record coming out soon on the Dystopian label that's based here in Berlin, and also a track coming up on the new Afterlife compilation. Afterlife is a new label from Tale of Us that also has a series of parties uh, debuting at Space in Ibiza this summer, where John will also play a date, uh, I think, in the middle or end of September. In the co-host seat this week, we got Kyle Geiger. He's always great to have around, and he's he's one of those guys that should really be on every episode. Um, yeah, good dude. If you want to know more about him, uh, him and I did a pretty epic uh, episode, I don't know, about... 10 episodes ago, maybe, uh, split it up into two parts. So if you like what he has to say, check it out. I think it was, it was a really good one. And, uh, 
I'm always going to have them back on the show. A few quick notes. Um, just remember, you're always welcome to submit questions uh, for the podcast on the website or topics that you're curious about uh, that you want to know our opinion on, um, whether it's music or life stuff in general. Uh, so you can head over there and do that. You can do it anonymously, or if you put your name down or where you're from, we'll give you a shout-out too. And uh, lastly, I have a podcast out, uh, well, it's been out for about a week now, on the uh, Reclaim Your City uh, podcast. They also do a radio show. It's about 80 minutes of rock and techno, so check it out if you're into my sound. That's it for now, so uh, enjoy the episode, and... Thank you to all those who keep tuning in. We got some great guests coming up, so stay tuned. Subscribe to iTunes or whatever it is you do to check out these episodes. And, uh, yeah, just enjoy the episode. Anyway, thanks for coming on the show. I'm going to introduce both of you here so they get an idea of whose voice is whose. Uh, First up, first time on the show, John Hester. Go ahead and say hello. Hello. How you doing? Good, thanks. How you doing? I'm doing great. And then we have Kyle Geiger back. Howdy. I think his mic is off. Oh, it's just... It is off. Oh, you turned it off. Turned All it right. on. Welcome back. We had to discuss some off-air topics. That's right. All the juicy stuff that you don't get to hear. <laughs> That'll be the special features on the DVD. That's Once oh, you do a you, documentary about yourself. You weren't supposed to tell them that we have a DVD coming. <laughs> Anyway, uh, also one quick thing for the listeners. If you hear a little bit of background noise, we got all the windows and doors open because it's a beautiful day out here. And to have us cramped up in here with no air would be criminal. Oh, yes. (laughs) Uh, Let's start off with with John. Um, History lesson. I mean, I know you've had a few things trickle out here and there. I I did a remix for you ages ago on a a net label. Yeah. But... um, Time fog. Or exactly. No? Yep. Out of Minneapolis. That's right. But, um, I mean, so now uh, you have uh, a release coming up. Is it already out or is it real soon? No. Um, the one I believe you're referencing is, is not out yet. No. Uh, actually, there's two well, things coming up. He has, a, he has a record coming on Dystopian, um, and which is getting a lot of play from people at the moment and, you know, really solid tracks. I know that you've been sitting on them for a while, and it's... Uh, I feel like, as I was trying to explain to you uh, when we were hanging out not so long ago, it's it's kind of different when you hear tracks that are not really mastered and just kind of in a folder, and then when you finally get the package where it's mastered and you see like three or four tracks put together, I think sometimes it can really um, change how you perceive the music or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And um, so... I'm just trying to think, because I know you, you were involved in some other labels and stuff before, but is this like one of your first, first bigger records? or? Well, um, I had been, I've, I've been involved with a label called EDEC for a while, for the last few years, which um, was founded by Andrew Grant. And then he, we, we had been in contact for a long time, actually. We were in contact since like 2004, 2005 in Minneapolis, yeah. and he was buying records from vital vinyl and emailing me about this. Oh, and was that. he buying records from vital? Online, yeah. And wow. he was, he was an American living in, in Spain and he was DJing at, uh, 
Is he still a, is he still a he's, local he's, resident or he's he still he still plays uh, shows with them absolutely but he's he's um, based in New York now so okay. uh, yeah he's spending more you know most of his time is there um, but at any rate so we did Edek and uh, yeah he started the label and quickly uh, kind of wanted to bring me on board as we had been in, in touch and had some similar perspectives on things and so I did the second release which was a single track for me um, the shouts in the dark. And then it had two remixes from uh, from Zach, uh, Devious One. That's right. And um, I was very pleased about that record. I mean, I really liked his remixes. I think also, for me, there were some of the maybe houseier, groovier things he's done that worked really well, also in a techno set. And um, yeah, it did it did pretty well. So yeah, that was nice. And Edek moved along. We had various more underground or unknown artists on there with remixers like DJ Q and DJ Spider and Ryan Elliott and mm-hmm. um, some other people from like uh, B tracks, things like that. So yeah, it was a nice, it was a nice mix of kind of American underground and some kind of um, rising European, European talent on, on the releases with some American remixers on, on board. So there was that I did an EP also later at Ec 10. That was just three tracks for me, which uh, also was, you know, I was, I was mm-hmm. really happy about having that out and, yeah, so that's been out, and then, yeah, we're up to pretty much the the present. Um, it's still going. The label, yeah, well, or, Edek, uh, or is long, it dormant? Or? Long story short, yeah, to say to say it like that, it's it's kind of dormant, basically not by our choice. When Intergroove Distribution went under, we were with them, and mm-hmm. so then the challenge became, you know, who's going to distribute <laughs> the next record if we put something out? Yeah. So we were on the hunt for a while, and. Uh, we're, we're going to see how things go, but I mean, Andrew's now in New York and we've got different things going on. So the label is not over, but it's, it's kind of dormant at the moment until we kind of see where the path will, will take us next. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, now you got these tracks coming up on dystopian. Um, I think the earliest people may have heard it was, was it on Radahad's boiler room set? Maybe. One yeah. Of them well, anywhere? um, yeah, Rodhad, uh, Mike, he had, he had asked me for some tracks, we we'd hung out we'd hung out around uh, just running into each other out mm-hmm. at parties or through mutual friends, and at one point he'd asked me for some music, and next thing you know he was saying, "Hey, can I can I play this on Boiler Room?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And uh, so we played a track on there, and then he played another one on the, uh, the BBC Radio One Essential Mix, and so they kind of got out in the public a little bit that way, and. Uh, yeah, it's turned into a release for for dystopian that's coming out soon. So awesome! I really like this release. Actually, I um I got the promo for it, and I thought that it was kind of sometimes you hear music that I mean, with any kind of musical genre, there's there's trends that catch on, and then they kind of get played out, and then some of the positive DNA of those trends remains through that and then there's like this new thing and and i found that yours was this modern techno sound that had a little bit more soul than what most of the stuff that i'm hearing right now is i thought it was i thought it was really interesting and i've got a few of them that i've been playing there is uh yeah the the basically the ace the both the a side tracks I've been playing a lot and uh, really like them. Cool. Well, thanks. And um, then 
A quick follow-up, which is also an interesting thing, is you have a track coming on Tale of Us's new label, uh, Afterlife. Yeah, yeah. That actually came about as they heard the tracks that, that uh, Roadhead was playing and liked them and kind of reached out to, to see what else I had sitting around and uh, shared some stuff with them. And yeah, now there's going to be a track on this, uh, this compilation, which is the first release of Afterlife their new project. So yeah, I'm happy to be yeah. a part of that too. And they're, uh, they're also starting a, uh, Ibiza series of parties this summer with the same name, same concept and sound. And I think you're on for, is it one date or more than that? Or I'm on for, I'm on for one night. Uh, it's, uh, September 22nd. And that's at space or that's at space Ibiza. And, um, yeah, that night I'll be with, uh, Nina Kravitz, Marcel Detman and tale of us on the terrace. It's a so. strong lineup. Terrace is we'll a have some great fun. room, too. <laughs> impressive lineup and impressive how far Ibiza stretches out summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, got, we got a lineup well, coming in December. At a, for, uh, it's the closing of Ibiza in December. I don't know how when it closes, but <laughs> September 22nd is, is getting pretty close into the fall, right? Well, it's, it's always... I think it's the last weekend of September, first weekend it's of October. It's into October. Like, basically... I mean, I don't know how things are going down this year. I know that DC10... They started like already the, the, way early. DC10 year. likes to have the last, last, after, after, after hours closing, closing. So yeah. they, they, they are usually going into like the beginning of October, but it's not uncommon for going into September. But the weather's, the weather's still nice. And okay. then the thing is, there's such a peak of tourists uh, and European people on holiday in August when a lot of people have off. August is just crazy and then september it's still kind of nice and it's kind of like after the wave of right time passes but it's still good and the people on the island are coming out maybe a little more cool i actually have you have you been to Ibiza, Kyle? never have okay um yeah i mean i've played there like 20 times but but i've never been there yeah yeah of course okay but uh i i think definitely it's better towards the the end of the summer it's it's less busy um, parties are cool. It's just like a more of a chill out vibe. It depends what you're looking for. But for me, that's, that's the time to go is into September. Plus it's also a little cheaper for flights and whatnot. Cause a lot of people are already starting to go back to school or, you know, the European holiday schedules more or less over at that point. So, but the, the, the closing week or whatever, or at least that period is usually pretty popular too. There's some big parties going off. Yeah. So yeah, but I, w- I would say like you know with your tracks, despite like Dystopian is known for being a pretty I wouldn't say brutal label, but it's really dark and like dungeon esque sort of murky sounding, and your tracks definitely fit into that microcosm. But like he was saying, there's still kind of like a little bit of uh, funk or melody to it that um, you can definitely tell stems from like because i know you for a long time and we have yeah. mutual appreciations of like ricardo and all those guys and i think you know you've been to ibiza before and i i sense some of that like airiness and the bounciness in your sounds in those tracks too you know what i mean it's yeah, not like yeah. i don't look at it like a another banging um drum tool kind of techno record you know what i mean it's yeah well, i have i have i mean a lot of different corners of house and techno have influenced me and that all kind of comes out in things i make and mm-hmm. I've, I've just been able to kind of embrace that and go with it so yeah excellent um and then let's go back to you for a second kyle you just came back from the states yep uh you played the festival for your first time movement i did 
Did you do just that gig, or did you do others while I you were there? I did that, and I played the Droid interface uh, party. It's kind of been a tradition to play the front room there. Yeah, and we played uh, together a yep, couple years ago. Yep, yep. So both were really fun. Um, I you you get a little bit. I mean, at least for me, I get a little bit still the the giddiness of playing. I mean, that's for me. That's the most sentimental gig that you can really have for, for an American. Uh, for, for yeah, American. For sure. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and that weekend is so special for everybody across the whole country. It's like a big reunion. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for those, uh, you know, most Americans that are into techno have been to the festival, you know, because um, it's been, it's well, movement, Pox House had it for 10 years, but it's been going on since, I think, 2000 or 99. Right. Yeah. And I used to go every year for the longest time until I moved out this way. But um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like a yearly pilgrimage. Like when any, some, whenever somebody says, "Like, are you going to Detroit this year?" Which is a really weird fucking question to ask. Generally speaking, if you're a techno head, you're like, you know exactly what you're saying. Memorial Day weekend for the festival. But otherwise, people be like, "What the hell?" You know what I mean? Because <laughs> right. it's a very vague and like, why would you go to Detroit? Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah. So and then for for the Europeans that haven't been there, like, of course, because it's the the birth of techno out there and whatnot. Um, it's it's kind of like the place where we gather, but at the same time, over the years, it's changed hands. The festivals, some have been better than others, and there's a lot of criticisms, but at the same time, it's like still all of your friends, all this cool talent kind of coming together and congregating in like a three-square-mile radius. Right, um, yeah. So it's so concentrated, you know what I mean? And there's nothing like that in America, like not even... 25% of that the rest of the time, you know? Um, and also something to put into yeah. context for, for Europeans that are listening to this is we have a slightly different vacation culture in the U.S. than right. we Meaning do in Europe. There is none. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, they, and especially you have people that are working retail shops are not closed on holidays. In fact, those are oftentimes the busiest uh, weekends for, for, for retails like those are blackout vacation days if you have any vacation days i mean most people have at least like two weeks or something so it's not like what sometimes the news makes it out to be but at the same time like it is a you really do have to make a decision as to how you're going to spend your days off and so a lot of these people are taking five of their maybe 12 or 14 vacation days um or maybe even 10 vacation days yep. to go to to Detroit. And yeah. so it's kind of in the same way I always talk about like a Berghain and its door policy. And I say, you know, whether whether they choose the right people or not, it's it has a psychological impact that people, once they get in there, they've already made up their mind that they're going to have the time of their life. And that changes things. And I think in Detroit, people say this is not only is this a techno party, this is the first vacation I've had yes. in, yeah. in six months. And, and, and it's one of the few times, I mean, where, as I said before, it's kind of a reunion. But when you consider how big the United States is in terms of land area, and you're at a party where everybody's dancing side by side, people from New York and L.A. and Miami and Minneapolis, Chicago, you know, everybody from all over these cities and and many other smaller cities who fight hard to maintain uh, a scene there, they're all together. And it's the time when you can really 
connect and, and interact face to face and share ideas and share music and have the kind of experiences that I think if you're living in a lot of different European cities, some people might take that for granted because there's just people coming through town every weekend or, Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot more events. I mean, certainly in Berlin, that's the case. So there, yeah, it's so, it's so, so important. And it's really the only weekend of the year when you have the opportunity as an American to experience, you know, seeing all your friends at once. Yeah. (laughs) That in that community. Definitely. That being said, how was your gig? <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was crazy. In the, in the crowd, there was like people from literally every walk of life. It was the first time that my mom has ever seen me DJ, other than maybe like when I was in my bedroom over a university summer break mixing and I needed to help her do something or yeah. whatever. But sh- this was the first time. I mean, and to be fair, like people are like, oh, she hasn't come to your, and you say, hey, listen, like she's 60. Oh, I shouldn't say her something. age on the air and then for, not be 44. Wrong. Yeah, she looks like 30. But in, anyways, <laughs> the uh, it. I understand why she hasn't. It's it's kind of past her bedtime when I normally play. And uh, so this was the perfect opportunity. And it was like four. I was playing at 530 in the evening till seven. Mm-hmm. It's an outdoor thing, even though the stage that I was in is the underground stage, which is kind of a sheltered, almost like parking garage feeling stage. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, she came and I, I to be honest, I kind of thought that she was just going to check it off her list of expectations that a child has for their parent, you know? Um, but she, she really loved it. I I was, I was absolutely shocked if I'm honest. And so she was there. Some of my friends that don't listen to techno were there. Um, and like some of the first influences to me as a DJ were all there in the same crowd. So it was super special. Um, and I, I feel like the underground stage, sometimes my my issue with festivals is the environment for me for techno has always been a, a huge factor. I mean, you look at the clubs that are so well known throughout the, the world with te- for techno music and the environment that it's in shapes the experience for techno music. And so like the underground stage, as much as they, they always are changing the stage, the direction of the stage, they're dealing with acoustic issues. Um, but the environment down there is for me, the perfect environment that you could possibly have in a festival for techno. I mean, it feels very techno down in the underground Mm -hmm. stage. It, it's really hard to get that stage to sound good. No, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's impossible. Acoustically, but uh, yeah, I mean they do what they can down there. And but that's part of this like this warehouse vibe where it's not exactly perfect, and people are still down there ready to go off anyway. That's yeah. kind of the thing about it. Detroit was never known for sound systems. I mean, that's you know they'll tell you like I remember when I started playing at these after parties back in like two thousand two, two thousand three, and. Uh, you know, I even, I even told the promoters are like, I used to play for Chad and function for their substance parties and stuff. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know about these sound systems. And they're just kind of like, dude, it's Detroit. You know what I mean? They weren't even like trying to, they're just like, this is what you get. This is what we do. And then you, you hear some of these stories from the other Detroit guys. And they're like, we didn't have function one. We didn't have terrible. Like 
they just played on whatever, like a regular bar rig. It was people like Richie who actually, when he wanted to start doing his parties, like Jack and all that stuff, like he started calling around and they were trucking in stuff all over from all over the country to have like this insane sound system. Yeah, party. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, that culture wasn't so much a big thing there. Whereas Minneapolis, for example, we grew up with like walls of sound, um, you know, just insane fucking systems. And was the was yep. the wall of bass? Did Woody McBride actually own the wall of bass? Nobody technically owns it because it's too big. It's actually it, it changed every party. It just depended where you could get the bass bins from. Um, I can't go specifically into the details because I might fuck it up. But basically, what I've been told by Woody, Kurt, Zach, Manx, all these guys is that like. You know, you call in like two, three different companies and be like, we need to get X amount of bins. Like, I think, did you go to Turned On to? Or I was there. Yep. Okay, that was the biggest system they ever did, I that think. That was insane. That was, was that at First think, Avenue? No, this no, was that was in Madison. Madison. That was in Madison. It's it was like 128 uh, dual 18 or 21 inch bass <laughs> bins. Like, it was <laughs> so yep. much that, like, in two, there was like, two rooms of that. In two rooms, yeah. Two rooms of the exact same rig, I believe. And, um, I mean, you would have to DJ if you were playing vinyl back then, you would have to DJ in basically a sandbox or something. I mean, I how do you, yeah, I don't know how they can, I, I mean, you know, I don't know, but the cinder blocks, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cinder blocks, that's how they did it. But well, I mean, I never well, the funny thing that you mentioned again. about that is, and I'm not going to go into it cause I already, I got my ass handed to me about it 15 years ago, but there was a certain DJ there that was, I didn't go, I didn't get to go to the party. I was going to go. And then I was actually with Ian. Yeah. And we're like, it was kind of snowing that night. And we're like, oh, we're going to go to this party. And we're like, should we go? And we're like, nah, fuck it. So we just stayed home and smoked weed and played Tony Hawk Pro Skater instead. <laughs> but basically, I, I wish I would have went to this party because it was a crazy party. T- turned on and, to. Yeah. Oh, okay. But apparently this there was a guy there that just couldn't mix a save his soul. And, um, you know, then later on blamed it on... Um, Basically, oh, the, the system was shaking the turntables. Everybody else didn't have a problem. I missed, I missed that the guy, where somebody couldn't mix anything. And apparently the guy, like, uh, you know, just bought turntables two weeks prior because he got the booking sort of thing. So but, That's but, a thing. One, one thing, though. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say one thing that, I mean, if I remember correctly, I think the thing to put it in perspective in terms of the sound system and the, the size of it at that event was I distinctly remember that you walked into these rooms and it was just this massive wall that was so tall, but you, you still, you almost couldn't get the size of it because the room itself it was in was so enormous. But when you walked up to it and realized that this DJ was planted up in the middle of this thing, and then you walked around behind it and you saw there was an entire semi truck driven into the room, parked behind it that you couldn't see because yeah. the sound system was taller than the semi truck. Wow. That, that was when the scale of the whole sound system really locked in and you're thinking, okay, yeah, this is big. And then there was a whole other room with another semi-truck driven into the building where they unloaded everything and just built it up and it completely covered it. So the, even the if the floor. party goes bust, you could use the photos from the party for a base CD. Um, sure. That, yeah. <laughs> that just put kids cool could put on their cars. To, yeah. <laughs> what was that, 2001, too? Something like uh, that? I want to say it was 2001. I could uh, be wrong, but I want I want to say it was on, it was November, I think two thousand one. Yeah, but that that reminded that reminds me of something. I, I it's no secret that I'm not playing vinyl anymore. I'm pretty much pretty much by pretty much I mean absolutely exclusively playing on CDJs. The thing I missed the most about vinyl was being able to blame your screw ups on the person closest to the turntable. <laughs> 
You know, you, you just screw up and you say, dude, I what, still do what that the hell now. are you doing, man? <laughs> My USB stick skipping. You, hey, you jump. You're making, you're making the records jump. <laughs> Disregard that it was me that hit the tone arm and knocked mm. it off, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, the fact is, is with the CDJs, if, if the... I've had it, you know, where like the CDJs in the mixer literally shakes off the table in the DJ booth. Yes. Because the sub's directly under. That can actually affect the platter, and then it does cause the CDJ to skip or uh, bounce around and I've whatnot. I've had a Sometimes. CDJ yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, stop three times from the bass. Yeah, uh, I've had that Where it too. just hits the stop button. I don't know what it's doing. I mean, for... Not to go on a ramp, but for 2,500 euro, you would think that that would be something considered maybe, you know? Yeah. But- no, I hear you. But the thing is, is like, uh, you know, because of the, the disc man back in like 15 years ago had the anti-skip technology. You oh, know, it'd that be was like, great. Oh, yeah. 40 you could s- jog for 15 oh, seconds yeah. with it. No, and then, I, it, and I, then and it would get out of hand. It's like 40 <laughs> seconds of buffer for anti-skip. And yep. I'm like... What the hell skip's going to last for 40 seconds? Like, if you're on a road that you need 40 seconds for it to buffer, like, you shouldn't be driving on that road. That sounds pretty dangerous. But if you're running, I suppose. What's what's amazing to me with the, I mean, this, we've all had this emergency loop mode, um, which I, you might as well just stop the CD. I mean, why, why even have this emergency loop mode when it says, it says, congratulations, they should just say, congratulations, you're about to train wreck the next mix, you know? And you say, why don't they download into like a buffer within the CDJ each, when you, when you hit play on the track, the downloading process Throws starts. It the RAM. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, sh- it shouldn't be, I'm not a real techie guy, but I've, I've copied an audio file from, you know, a USB stick onto a hard drive. And, and the time, at least then you would have a buffer where you could actually do a complete loop instead of uh, this three and a quarter, quarter. beat loop, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. that really sounds like a skipping record. You thought that you would never hear that sound again. And now CDJs have emulated it pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Speaking of formats... um, I brought it up earlier before we had problems with the microphones. Um, the whole laptop band thing in L.A. Oh, yeah. We were talking about the formats and stuff. And not really that the article doesn't really need a whole lot of uh, discussion. Again, for those who haven't heard, there's a club in L.A. that banned laptops being used in the DJ booth. Was it a club or a promoter? It was a club. Okay. And um, What's the club? I don't remember. Okay. Uh, I don't even know that it necessarily pertains to our... Um, little microcosm of dance music per se maybe i don't know but i guess the thing is is of course they they get people to sound in on it and it's like really obvious responses like richie's like this is ridiculous uh you know it stifles uh creativity and all that then you got another guy that's like oh vinyl's the best thing ever like very predictable responses but my thing is is like it's 2016. Why are we still even... Why is this news? Why are we still having this conversation yeah. and treating it as news or something that's new now? I mean, I don't know. I, I think I think that just my personal opinion is just that it's what's coming out of the speakers. It's been said a million times before also in this whole debate. Um, but, I mean, somebody can be creative using whatever tools they want. Sure. Um, it's It connects with people or it doesn't. And, you know... Well, that's that, well, I my mean, opinion. 
why uh, maybe the better question is is why is uh i mean as soon as this came out it seemed like there were like three different music journalism sites i use that term loosely um that that covered uh that that took on this story and you you say why are you why do you cover this stuff if if you're really like trying to promote the the music that you're in i mean how often is there a dj feud or something you you basically have people looking in in the in the background of these stories and they say ah if i create drama because they didn't cover it when the guy first said it i don't think i I think it was after but the guy retorted okay which i'm gonna get to here but go on and you know and it's like these I understand everybody's got to make their money somehow. You know, I, I've, I understand why DJs set their price this way. I understand why um, music journalists are making are looking more and more like a TMZ than they are like a music journalism site. But at, this, at the same time, I feel like there's a little bit of responsibility that has to be taken where... You cover interesting music and interesting topics that aren't divisive. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Wh- why? Well, sorry. No. Yeah. No. Go on. Um, yeah. On that. On that subject too. That I think maybe there's another aspect of this that isn't the one that's presented always. I mean, I was saying just a moment ago about it's kind of the, the tools are just what makes it happen, but what comes out of the speakers is important. I think the maybe the greater issue and something that, yeah, I do feel also strongly about is just that I think the deeper issue might be for some people that it's not even vinyl versus digital, but it's more about people that have invested the time to kind of have a, an understanding of maybe the history of the music that they're playing or understand the kind of where it fits culturally and what they're doing. Um, or they have the, the, the foundation of having had to learn to beat match, and so they have a different sense of rhythm that they actually had to work for rather than just have it handed to them by the technology. I mean, there's something to be said for knowing a craft um, and knowing, I'd say even more importantly beyond that, why you're doing what you're doing and what, sure. you, what, you, wanna, yeah. what you really want to say. But instead, it's a lot easier to stir up a lot more controversy with a lot more people by focusing on something that's a lot more superficial of just, oh, Somebody uses vinyl, somebody uses CDJs, somebody uses a laptop, somebody uses this controller, that controller. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I have, I, I have also, I see the value in having learned starting with vinyl and working with that. I think that was part of the original craft. That's great. I mean, we also, time does advance and times change. And I'd say it's maybe more important for somebody to at least understand the context of the music they're playing rather than just the medium. Like if they've done their homework, if they play it, on some other medium, but they understand why they're doing it. That's more important in my opinion. But. Well, and, and we tend to have, I mean, it's, uh, if you, we all have parents and we all have had advice from our parents that we say, yeah, like that's cool that it worked for you, but that's not really the way I'm going to do. That's cool sure. that you, you worked a nine to five and that you went to university and you did all this, but I'm going to try something different, you know? And, and I think, our experience in our eyes is always going to be kind of viewed as the correct way 
to develop as a sure, DJ. And you say, yeah, like, I mean, and of course, whenever I spent a year getting good at beat matching before I ever played the first party, I, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There, there's, a, there's a selfish, uh, like, part of me that says everybody else has Should to do have this to go too. Through yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and you say, well, like, I don't know if, I mean, the, the thing that uh, have, I've noticed now, I, I have a good friend of mine who's a young and kind of upcoming DJ, and he played, like, his first kind of bad party. And I was like, dude, this is, this is, like, the most valuable thing you can have for your development as a DJ is to play a shitty party. Yeah. I mean, if you grow up in a place that has... 20, 30, 40 really good venues. I mean, even clubs that we've never heard of in the city we're living in are still in the scope of things, good, good venues. Mm -hmm. It's hard to like a lot of DJs in this area are not playing at a party and having like somebody that doesn't listen to techno come up to you and be like, you're effing terrible. Play some hip hop. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and yeah. that, when you have those moments that like really kind of tests your wit, you know? Oh, yeah, to, man. So, and of course I think in my head that every DJ should have to go through what we went through when we first started DJing at a pizza parlor or whatever, you know, that would allow Eating us to put a sound system in. Drum and bass, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you remember like Dub's Pub and all that above, uh, what was it? Dinky Towner. Oh, all man. Those old oh, things. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wings and drum and bass. Yeah. Was that oh, yeah. on Wednesday nights? No, I mean, like, there was... There, downstairs was the Dinky Towner, uh, James Patrick, and you also had a party there. Yeah, I on started, your own. Do you I once a month? Or? Yeah, I had a monthly there. Yeah, and then, like, upstairs, there was some parties going on as well. Some of it was techno. Some of it was... Um, drum and bass and I, it was so long ago i don't yeah. quite remember and nobody on the show really cares besides the minneapolis people but anyway um i'm interested in any place called dinky towner well the thing is we didn't really know how good we had it back then like at that point it was like a fail safe like it was a place to go when there was nothing else going on whereas now in minneapolis i think because there's a limited amount of venues that would be kind of a godsend because this place could go till 2 a.m which 4 a.m well 2 a.m. with alcohol. And then what it was went the last call for the wings? That's when I leave. <laughs> no, party. they didn't have wings, they didn't but have they had like great pancakes and They had chocolate chip shit. pancakes. That's but this all. was like in the heart yeah. of uh, Dinky Town was, is the and campus of Minneapolis. Yeah. And that's where you got like your bros and your sisters and all that from the, uh, the fraternities. That's what it's called. And yeah. um, so it's like you got a bunch of that like pop collar stuff going on. And then you got all the scraggly ravers and stuff like that. Because this was still... Rave parties were still going on, so this was like the bar slash club alternative to. There's no rave. But it had a nice. It had for what it was. It had a good sound system. If you were down on the dance floor, and it went till four, and they also occasionally were able to go all night, which was unprecedented for uh, for a venue because they they were they stopped serving alcohol and they served food. So you'd get people coming down there in the morning to get you know an omelet and some pancakes, and there'd still be music going and people that were there all night and. That was pretty unique in America to have something like that. That's something that uh, you really have to like sit Europeans down and explain to them last call. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you're like, no, 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 no. This is so a, one more you, hour. It's yeah. about to be over five minutes to enjoy yeah, so, this last record. And then they're so gonna kick what's going to happen is at midnight, people are going to show up 
at two o'clock, um, they're going to tell, they're going to turn on the lights and at two ten they're going to drag you out by the collar of your shirt. Uh, you know, like yeah. there's, there's a two hour window <laughs> where you can really make a party happen, especially in Minneapolis too, right? Yeah. At 2 a.m. is the closing time, right? Yeah. For us, bars. Us anyway. folk in Indiana, we have 3 a.m. closing time. So we know how That's to have a real good party. Well, man. well, well. You know, cause like, I don't know, from the Minneapolis standpoint, like Indiana, there's nothing out there. Oh, yeah, they're just a bunch of backwards hicks, right? Of course. Yeah. Uh, but to, to kind of go back on the topic, so the, the guy with the laptop um, policy, he responded later, and he's like, actually, he's like, I got nothing against laptops. It's the fact that all these kids show up with just nothing more than a laptop and a controller, and they still don't even know how to plug it into the DJ mixer. So then you get five minutes of silence or, like, you know, unplugging the wrong deck that's playing and stuff. And I've had this... A million times on the road where, um, you know, I full disclosure, I've done that where somebody's playing the track and I unplug the wrong thing because it's a spaghetti factory back there. <laughs> and then I've had it where, you know, um, people unplug my last track that's playing because like, oh, shit, I was trying to plug in my laptop. I'm so sorry. I mean, like, I would say 98% of those guys aren't trying to be D-bags about it. They genuinely don't want to mess up your set, but they're still in your face anyway. And it, like... Honestly, it doesn't look good at a party when there's two or three guys and a flashlight trying to connect wires in the DJ booth in front of everybody. Like, it throws the vibe off. Yeah. And um, so that's what he was getting at. And I just think, you know, um, it shouldn't be news. And, you know, if if you don't like it, you don't really have to play there. Like, well, it, and, and a, like, that sounds like a problem of the booking not a problem of the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, let's well, go but, a step but, further. But, yeah, it, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. These, these these sorts of things have happened before too, where where people have, yeah, have like want, have made similar statements about clubs, and and there's a quick reaction to talk about the booking, saying, oh well, who's who is selecting the artists that are bringing yeah. these problems to your club? Or yeah. shouldn't the technician figure it out? Well, you and I, I mean? always it's, I I always you know, ask, and I don't ask for hardly anything in my rider. But one thing I ask for is, uh, and I'm not playing on a laptop, I ask for a separate power, a power strip, a separate power strip. I think there should be a separate power strip for each artist. I mean, so if one artist is playing, you should have, you should have all the stuff that is the brains of, of the DJ booth, your, your CDJs, your turntables and your mixer, those should be on one power bar and those should be, that should be partitioned off. You know, there should be nothing there. And then on the left side, there should be an empty spike bar or a power strip. There sh- and on the right side, there should be an empty spike bar or a power strip. That is, not, that is not rocket science. And if you do that, then you never have a DJ that is unplugging um, the wrong thing. Um, you never have, like, if you, if you have effects, I, I use outboard effects for my DJ set. If you have effects, then you plug those in, you, you label the cables mm-hmm. that you've got with you, and then you plug them in 30 seconds into your first track. Same no here. big, no big deal. I mean, I, I actually have that in my contract. Nobody's ever read it. No, <laughs> that but, was a weird thing in Detroit. They read my writer. What? I know. Anyways, go on. No, that's all I had on that, but <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they actually, I asked for like three local beers. And they actually did it, and I didn't know what to do. I, they, it's never. You're happened. like, well, but do, do do I drink them? Do I do I, do I hold on to them as like a, somebody actually read my contracts for yeah, once? They so. got me like Bell's Oberon. 
It's pretty nice. See, in, in my rider, test. in my rider, I have a stipulation because I hate revolving doors. I refuse to stay at a hotel with a revolving door. So you know, I basically is that true? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, wait, I've heard what, weirder. What things. is true is I do hate revolving doors with a fucking passion. Like when you're younger, there there's nothing better. When you're like That's five years old, yeah. That's but when you're then, not carrying a suitcase. Yeah, but. Even when you're not carrying a suitcase, there's nothing worse than a revolving door, period. I don't care how big it is at an airport, at a hotel. So, like, so which, my pet peeve. which revolving doors are more more uh, dangerous for you, in your opinion, to go through? The, the manual ones or the big, huge, slow, slowly, eternally? Well, actually, actually, you'll miss, a flight. You'll miss I, a flight at Teagle if you go through that revolving door. Oh, yeah. You'll be waiting for it. But actually, I was at the public pool this weekend, and you know the like... It's sometimes they have it at the amusement the, parks the, where it's like yeah, the, the, metal the metal bars, bar like Prince and Bod, where it kind of looks like some Hellraiser. Like if you go in there, you're going to get uh, impaled just, or something. Just sliced up. And nobody thing. really knows what to do. All you got to do is push it and go through. But yeah. it takes like three minutes for a family to walk through the goddamn yeah, I thing. I mean, that's got to look terrifying yeah. for people, you know? Yeah, it's, it's not comfortable. <laughs> anyway, uh, I know you guys got to head out in... Uh, about a half hour here. I got about a half hour. So uh, I want to go through a couple questions, mostly because I don't prepare for my shows and I rely on the people to make it appear as if I'm a good host. Um, this one actually, I don't know if you ever met him or not, but I know you know him. Uh, Josh DC. Uh, in I Minneapolis. played you ever, for, you for play him for at a, that, I think, yeah, I think I played for him. Oh wait, was that that one campout? Campout, yeah. Where, was that the farm? Right when I started the, working for the uh, for the Department of Defense, and I came in last minute to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, he he kind of shouted out to me, but I, it applies to all of us because we're from from the states. But he's wondering: uh, Are you in Germany for the long haul, or do you see yourself coming back to the states ultimately? Uh, let's start with you, John. Oh, okay. Well. <clears throat> When asked this question, my answer is, I'd like to stay here indefinitely, which means I'm happy here. I like how it's going here now. I think it's a great place to live. I have no immediate plans on the horizon to leave, but it's not to say that, you know, I would never leave. It depends on how things go. So where it all happens. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's what I'd have to say. But do do you see yourself staying in, in Berlin or would you consider going elsewhere? I mean, at the moment, I see myself staying in Berlin. I really, I really like it here. I mean, also, I have to say, something about Berlin, uh, I don't know, it connects with me um, coming from the Midwest. Something about it, it's, it's, I don't know, maybe it's gray skies and flat land and trains and, you know. That's the, the stuff the, that the I vibe, don't like. The vibe here. <laughs> I don't know. It's something about, something about that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a world away, of course. Mm-hmm. There's so many different things, but also, you know, and some things like, uh, you know, coming from Minneapolis, Minnesota, land of 10,000 lakes, uh, there are lakes around here and there's a lot of green space and things like that. It's kind of, there's some things about the, the land that, that remind me of, of the Midwest or, or Minneapolis. And then there's, there's techno, techno, and, techno and house are alive and well here. Winter's alive and well here. There's a lot of things that are very familiar here that, that I am comfortable with. So, yeah, I mean, I... I I can't see myself moving to another place anytime soon, but it's not to rule it out that, you know, something sure. might pop up. What about you, Kyle? I mean, I know you and I, we, there's times we go for coffee and we're like, dude, is it time to go home or not? Or, you know what I mean? But like wh- this week, where do you feel? I feel good this week. Um, <laughs> I, I think that the, it's always, I think as the longer we've been here, 
the the more that I mean, no matter where you move, if we if we picked up and moved back to the U.S., we would have to learn how to live in American culture again. You know, oh, I yeah. mean, even even going back for a visit, you're like, oh. Wow, you know, like I mean, it's not like the it, there's anything crazy, but it is. I don't know. The, the reverse culture shock for me gets more shocking every yeah, time yeah. I go I, back. I always said, I always said, and hopefully there's people from Portland or San Francisco listening to this. I always said that those two cities and Seattle, I'd put in there, are like the detox center for expats. You know, where, where they're like the decompression chamber for expat. Like you have to go to Portland or San Francisco <laughs> or Seattle if you're moving back from Europe. It's just safer or that New York. way. Yeah, well, yeah. I yeah. mean, New, but, New York I really like uh, as a place, but it's changing so much and it's... Yeah, yeah. all, to, all cities be, are, man. I mean, San Francisco, New York, if you live there, I mean, both of those cities, you better work for some tech company and <laughs> yeah. quite well yeah, set yeah, up yeah. if you yeah. want to live comfortably there these days. But. Yeah, I was hoping that it should be subsidized also for us expats to live there. But um, <laughs> No, now they just want to take double the taxes, but that's a whole other episode. Yeah, but, yeah um, I, I don't know. I, I never moved over here. With Sometimes you meet people and... You, you hear them, they, they talk about, they moved here from America and they talk about America like it was the bane of humanity, you know? And, yeah. and I usually kind of in the back of my head while I'm nodding and hearing how much they hate America, like, I'm like, you're probably going to feel the same way about Germany in about two or three years. You know what I mean? Like, it just, uh, these type of where you just think that, Every problem in life is based on your geographic location is a bit of a misnomer. And, um, but let me say this. I, I just got, and I've got it in my wallet. This is like the, the I never understood um, why like, people were so proud of getting an American passport. But for me, the equivalent is getting a German Gesundheitskarte. I've never even seen one of these. Yeah, yeah. This is this is wow. the official German uh, health German. insurance. I'm on I'm on state German health insurance, and I have a German press photo on the front of the card. I see that. And but now, when you get busted on the train for not having a ticket, they can actually send it to your house. No, because I'll be so healthy because of this, I can run. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So it's it works out perfect, but. The, oh I mean, this was, this was to me a, I, I grew up, my, my father worked for kind of short story. My father worked for a pharmaceutical company. Uh, my life was, uh, paved very handsomely for me because of my dad's work in a, in an industry that is part of the problem. And then he died a sudden death. And then all of a sudden the family of a father who had to work that was very well provided for because of the work in a pharmaceutical industry had to worry about where we were getting health insurance from and had to had to think about all these things and then to come to germany and then to get on to the state health insurance it was like you you're asking like questions that they're laughing at in the doctor's office where they're, I'm like, so we don't have to get 
the approval of the health insurance oh, yeah, before this too, actually and they're like no it's the doctor's choice to make a medical decision it's between you and the doctor that's how medical decisions are made and you're like so insurance doesn't have to give us permission for for this type of stuff and and you just keep asking these questions and um on top of this this is uh through kunstlet sozialkasse which is uh it's a subsidized insurance for people in the artistic community. And basically this Kunstsozialkasse will never have in America, mind you. No. No, because that's for the hippies, you know? <laughs> and uh they so they basically act as an employer for you and provide pay for half of your insurance, which is which is quite amazing. So so all that said, I'm as American as cargo shorts and apple pie combined. You know, I'm with I'm, polo short uh, shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm wearing a U.S. national team jersey because they're about to lose tonight. But uh, the um, but yeah, I'm super American. I'm very proud of being American. But I I see the place that I, in some ways I see that America has some soul searching to do uh, with these type of things. And so to be in a country oh, yeah. that I think that puts it lightly right yeah, now. Yeah. yeah that's the, political, I, yeah. but I don't know. know how many Trump supporters are listening. So I don't want to, you know, offend anybody, but the, uh, I really think that uh, being part of the German healthcare system has been a, an incredible, just like uh, for lack of better words, a blessing to, to, to me and my wife to be able to be on a healthcare system where you say, okay, maybe I get taxed more. Maybe I don't make as much money just being an artist here. But at the same time, the, I, I never have this like sandy bottom that I could fall through mm-hmm. um, with it. I mean, of course, there's, there's whatever, but the fact that my health will always be, I'll never go into bankruptcy because of health issues. So yeah, I'm kind of with John. I I don't see, I don't see myself dying here. Um, but I, I don't see myself leaving here either. Fair enough. And for those of you who are about 22 years old, I assure you the last three or four minutes about health insurance stuff, you're going to want to know that in about five years time when it actually matters. (laughs) You listen up kids right now. They're like, you don't know how good you got it. But, uh, as, what about you, Zon? As for me, I'm kind yeah. of up for whatever. Um, you know, I'm comfortable in the place that I'm I'm in right now. Uh, it's kind of warm, actually. I, well, you know, it's a today, hot day outside, today is and you're the one that's sitting like near the today. window. Um, the thing is, is I I was kind of on my way to moving back to the states about a year ago uh, for some personal family reasons and whatnot, and then in the end, I ended up staying here um, and. Uh, I'm a person that I'm totally right now I'm up for moving, whether it's the States, uh, another place in Europe, uh, I'm up for it, but I'm not really in a rush either. And I think for now I'm going to stay put, but, uh, let's just see how it goes. I know one thing's for sure, like, uh, and not even to get political about it again, but it's like, if Trump does become president, I, it gives me you know, less incentive to come back to the States anytime soon. I mean, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't, but uh, it makes it less desirable for me. Germany Um, does have the best policies towards refugees uh, currently, so maybe we could become... Man, that's a whole other topic on its own, too. I mean, uh, 
and not a necessarily fun topic. Like they're not, some of the the refugees are not getting treated so well here at the moment, unfortunately. But uh, to wrap it up, this uh, uh, another Josh from Chicago writes. He wrote in a question uh, also. Uh, which is convenient segue. He's like, it seems like moving to Berlin as a 27-year-old white guy is pretty played out. Do you have any other suggestions for um, other places to go, whether it's Frankfurt, Cologne, wherever? Uh, do you guys have suggestions of like alternatives to Berlin if a, if someone wanted to move well, just my, to get cultured and maybe get some techno in them or something. Well, I'd say it really depends on the person. It has to come from them where they want to go and do their research on what what appeals to them. Because I know everybody's I could, different. Yeah, yeah, everybody's different. I could I could say, I mean, Berlin was was a place where I'm very happy to 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 come to and 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 live. Um, of course, you know, there's other options that I could maybe try to project for someone who had some similar opinions as i do or or interests as i do but i mean it really depends on what you want i mean like the even just take the the lakes here and the the green and then the winter and the gray skies and all that that's familiar to me i mean if you come from sandy beaches and sunshine you know you might miss that you should go to thailand or somewhere else that you feel comfortable there i don't know but it depends on what you want that's that's my answer although it's not so specific well i I can say wherever you go sorry to cut you off is that I don't think unless you like as long as you don't get like somebody doesn't break your heart or like get uh you don't get a bad drug habit I don't think you're necessarily going to leave feeling like it was a bad idea. You might not yeah. say, "Oh, it wasn't for me," but you're going to be like, "You know what? I found out." They're always going to is- grow from any experience you have. And I would I would I would furthermore I guess encourage uh the Josh you said um yeah. wrote it, to to do if they want to check something out, do it make an informed decision go through with it and you're only going to grow from the overall experience no matter what happens mm-hmm. but i mean also the, the other caveat i would say is <clears throat> in terms of moving to another country and uh, i think kyle you kind of touched on this in a way as well but it's also about going to somewhere rather than running from something where you feel you're you know you have either something you don't like about where you are you know you are as in you yourself are with yourself it, wherever you are in the world and you can't run away from that so uh you know i mean i certainly didn't leave minneapolis because i didn't like minneapolis i loved minneapolis i still do but I'm, i wanted to try something different and i did and i'm happy that i did and i'd say yeah make a choice and something you want to do somewhere you want to go go through with it you'll only grow from the experience no matter what happens and true to being a fan of Minnesota, John is wearing a uh, purple shirt right now. He is, in fact. With I his am, love fact. for the Vikings or Prince, I don't know. Maybe a combination of both. But I would say to Josh, like kind of echoing what John said, is I would, when anybody is moving, especially making as significant of a move as like kind of selling off all your stuff and moving over across the pond, as they say, that... I would discourage being like a single issue voter in that saying, ah, I like techno. Berlin likes techno. Therefore, I need to go to Berlin. Do your research. Yeah. It doesn't work out for everybody. It doesn't work out for everybody. It was incredibly difficult for me. And do not discount the powers of weather. And what I mean by that is even if you, we, we all, all three of us here grew up in incredibly brutal winters, 
The winters here are different, though, in that yeah. you're exposed to the element where, you, you know, you're driving in a car or you're you're always kind of there's there's a lot more in some ways, a lot more indoor activities built around like a Minnesota or a northern Indiana than there are in Berlin. Like you are exposed to the elements much more here, I feel like. Well, it's then, darker here. Like, there's that's less the sun. biggest difference yeah, is the lack the, of sunlight. It's, the dark. it's not as cold I mean, when you compare the yeah. temperature to this Minneapolis. This winter for yeah, me was soul crushingly depressing. Well, a couple just, winters ago, it was literally the darkest winter in recorded yeah, history, history of light yeah. measurements here in Berlin and, and ger- all of Germany. And you, you kind of, you know, there would be moments during that winter when you'd kind of wonder, oh, man, it's kind of it's another gray day today, huh? And then. Hmm. And then later it comes out. Yeah, this is the darkest winter in recorded yeah. history. Like, oh, okay, that wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't just me. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that was actually I, I wasn't that just bad. Me that was contemplating <laughs> pulling the plug. You know, but the, um, yeah. So and and also what John said that we had talked about earlier is, uh, I got asked in a job interview. I was working with like at risk kids, and one of the people asked like, "What are you running from?" And I, I had to really think about that where, you know, you can, you can mistake your excitement for a new place, uh, for your hatred for an old place, or you can mistake your hatred for an old place with, for the excitement for a new place. And I, I think if, if you do that, then you're, you're at, you're at a strong risk of getting into a foreign country and learning some very unpleasant things about yourself. And maybe, you know, to be fair, maybe that's what you need to to really, like, have an honest look at yourself. But I, I definitely think that it should be moving towards something instead of away from something. I agree. True. Um, for a short answer, I'd say Do if, it. If, if you're looking for excitement and maybe a little bit of techno, check out Paris or Amsterdam. Oh, Full yeah. disclosure, those places are really expensive. Uh, I just had a, a good friend of mine recently we were talking. Apparently, he did uh, two or three years of school in Paris years back. And he's like, I hate that city with a passion, but it was the f- most fun time of my life I've ever had. And uh, probably because he felt alive. You know what I mean? Sure. But and uh, Paris and Amsterdam are beautiful cities as well. Yeah, yeah it really is. You know, um, one time I went to Paris with some friends, and uh, I don't really do the kind of typical touristy stuff when I hit the road. I, not that it makes me any better or worse. I just I think it's more that I'm lazy. But I did the whole bike tour thing in Paris, and it was pretty awesome over the course. The fat of tire bike tour, perhaps. Otherwise, did you do the night one? Um, it was well. It started off day, and then it became night, and then we got on a boat, and then yes. you see the tire light up and all that. That is amazing. So. Sorry, I got a little excited about no, that. No, but it, it's a good time for sure. I would. I, that was the highlight of one of our trips to Paris. Um, but you know what? This is a kind of a, a sidestep on this. When's the last time both of you have been back to the U.S.? I was there in April. April? I was there um, over the, some of December, later part of December, this last December. Have we been spoiled here or... Are restaurants in the U.S. just effing expensive? Hmm. Depends where you go. Yeah, I, yeah, I would say, say the they're uh, infinitely better. Where? Well, compared to Berlin. Really? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I have a smaller city experience than you. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, there's so many different things you could compare there. I mean, there's some great 
restaurants both here and there. I mean, just some of the experience is so different. It depends on depends on where you are. If you're in New York City, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you're eating at some really expensive place that's also at the cutting edge of you know yeah. experimental food or something like that, or you're 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 eating. It's all a, a case by case basis, really. At some kind of brick barn on the side of the road yeah, <laughs> in suburban yeah. America, there's a big difference. Well, I guess I you don't. also have, you also have at minimum 7% sales tax added on to it. It's not embedded in the price. And then 20 to 25% tip on, on top of that is pretty much the norm in the U.S. as at well. At least you get service then. Was that? Was yeah. That, <laughs> was that? And unlimited you, water. Was that you? Asking. Yes. Was cold that, water. Cold water. Was that you that was with uh, Mo Drum Cell and you guys got like a crazy steak on the side of the road or some shit on the way to a gig? Uh, no, but I'd love to be a part of this story. <laughs> I could have swore. Who was that? Let's just say it was me and tell me the story. Well, I can't do the story justice, but... <laughs> As far as I can, t- I thought it was like you and Mo. It probably Basically, was. You guys stopped off at like a gas station or something, and, and this guy's station. like, "You guys are like, what? oh, I'm- oh, it was. Uh, it was uh, in Minnesota. Yeah, it was in Minnesota. All right, I here we go. No, this was. Uh, this was. Where is the Mayo Clinic at? It's in downtown Rochester. Uh, Rochester. 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 There's, there's downtown. And there's other. Yeah, yeah. I think there's other so locations, we were passing through main, Rochester, main, and I, right, I knew Rochester. Rochester because the Mayo Clinic was there, and this place. You, you would think that it would have a little bit more life to it with having such a prestigious medical facility there, but there's really not much going on in Rochester, Minnesota, hmm. at least on the outskirts. And, but we got into this gas station, <laughs> and I, it was a while ago, but... 2008, I'll, I think? Yeah, wow. I think so. And, and this guy... First off, he, he starts off by telling us the story about, he's like, yeah, one guy came in here trying to act funny, pulled a gun on me. I took the gun from him and I robbed him with his gun. I don't know if, I don't know if it was what? true. I don't know if it was true, but the story was just like straight up Lone Ranger style, you know, where you say, this guy's crazy. He's like, you know what you need? You need the steak. And we're like, yes, sir. We will take the steak. <laughs> just give us the yeah, steak. Yeah. Just back away slowly. We take will the steak give and... you a 30% tip, too. Yeah, yeah. You know? But, yeah, we, it was in a gas station, and it was actually pretty good. I mean, it wasn't <laughs> as good. You guys wrote it off as it was as life-changing. No, 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 no. It wasn't. It was. It well, was, you just seen your life pass before your eyes. If you went into it. Before you had like, to order it. If so. you went into and you said, I'm having a steak at a gas station, and then you tasted the steak, you would say it was life-changing. Like but the Chuck context, it was, yeah. it was, it was, it was life changing by gas station steak standards. Yes. Yes. <laughs> For those of you who know the gas station steak market, yeah, it's pretty slim pickings. It's non-existent. Yeah. So we had it. We did have a steak. I com- now I completely remember this story <laughs> and it sounds like I'm just completely fabricating it as well. <laughs> Oh man! But uh, the the other crazy part is, while we're on the topic of gas stations, a completely worthless topic for the radio show. <laughs> Little do people know, in Italy they have Auto Grill, which would be like I don't know a BP or a Shell gas station in the United States, Super America or something. Um, basically, they have. It's not by any means amazing, but they have like great little sandwiches and like coffees and stuff just on the side of the highway in Italy. Where yeah. like you know, in America, you'd probably pay ten bucks to have one of their subs, but yeah, it's two fifty there. Yeah, you know what I mean, when you hit the road on the highway there, 
Italy and their food culture. They like food in Italy. Let me say this, man. <laughs> I go to a lot of football games. I've been to football games in many of the countries that soccer I've traveled for to. The yeah, soccer, soccer. And I mean, we could have another radio show explaining why it's called soccer. It's the British fault. It's the British people's fault. But anyways, the uh, I went to a football game in Milan, Inter Milan. And normally you're outside and you're getting like hot dogs, like currywurst, as the uh, Germans call it. It's a hot dog with ketchup, for those of you wondering. And curry. Yeah, and like curry curry powder powder on top of it. It is is a hot dog with ketchup for all intents and purposes. Basically. Yeah, sorry, guys. And um, we go to the the Inter Milan game, and they've got like proper like two or three thousand euro espresso machines in in the little food trucks oh yeah and like proper paninis and and all of this as pretty much anything that is good portable italian food they served and there was no bad food outside of this game um, and compared to the rest of the world you say these guys take their food super seriously I loved it. Time. Yeah. Speaking of food. Yeah. I you know. going to Yafo tonight? Up. I'm still waiting on the messages here. I want it so bad. Let me just <laughs> let me just plug this restaurant real quick. Let's do it. So a guy <laughs> and, a guy and meet. And now a word from our sponsors. A no. guy and meet at uh, one of the gigs I played in Berlin. Uh, he wrote me this really long message uh, saying like Basically, I feel the same way as a chef that you do as a DJ where you have like bad gigs, you have good gigs. And and then we, we became super close friends through the process. And now he has finally met. His, he's a guy from Israel that's worked in New York as a chef. Uh, he's worked in Amsterdam as a chef, worked in Tel Aviv, of, of course. And um, he is now finally... Uh, met his one of his dreams of being an owner of a restaurant here and he's done it in Berlin mm-hmm. and they just after a long long bureaucratic process have become completely official where they can do advertising and stuff it's called Yafo it's right off of is it Torstrasse? Torstrasse, yeah. yeah and I promise you that if you go there I will buy your dinner if you're not happy with it when you're done wow. with this. Wow, that's a fair assumption. Uh, yeah. Derek Blasleko was giving out free music the other week, and we got a ton of emails for it. So you, you might have to, to bring out the checkbook. But the yeah. fact of the matter is it's all pretty damn good. So I think you'll be all right on this one. I mean, he, he, uh, he, there's, because you have to kind of outsource some of the operations in these smaller restaurants, he trained uh, a Turkish baker. Here in here in Berlin, he said, "Hey, I'm gonna." He sat down with them for two weeks and trained him how to make proper pita, mm-hmm. uh, the Middle Eastern way. And so there's proper pita there, fresh proper pita, and everything. It's very vegetarian, vegan friendly. If if that's your thing, it and is my thing. Yeah. So. Everything is perfect about this restaurant, and it just reopened, it did its official opening this last week. And it's affordable. Yafo. That's in Mitte. Um, check it out if you're, you're in Berlin and you're looking for spots to hit up. I get people hitting me up a lot about where should we go in Berlin amongst the guest list requests and stuff like that just for food or shopping and whatnot. 
I think maybe at some point, either on the on the enemy site or on the train wreck site, I'll, I'll put up a little Berlin guide with also uh, recommendations for my friends and whatnot. But that place would be on there for sure. So mm-hmm. perhaps we'll be there tonight. Well, I know Kyle's going. I don't know what my deal is, but I'd like to go. Anyway, let's get back onto the task of music for a minute before <laughs> before we uh, check out here. Uh, let's take one more question. Um, we'll go into the gear part of things. We're all DJs. Any thoughts on the Rain MP2015 mixer? It's that rotary mixer. Um, I'll go first. Or, and it says, or do you have any thoughts on rotary mixers in general? I'll go first. I've never used it, and I hate rotary mixers. Um, Kyle Kiger, ladies and gentlemen. There it is. Um, I have not used this particular mixer. I have mixed on rotary mixers before and actually rain rotary mixers in the past. And I don't know. They have their place where they, they work well or for certain kinds of music. I think for techno, the, the rotary dial is not the usual kind of muscle memory movement that, that works the best to, to mix mm-hmm. techno records together. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd be curious to check it out, but I'd, I'd still prefer baiters over rotary just for what I like to do. Yeah, I mean, see, I want one in my house because wouldn't it look awesome right there with my DJ setup? Oh, I mean, for Facebook sure. posts, there's nothing better than a yeah, rotary mixer. I would post like on, five on Instagram photos. Instagram, yeah. Absolutely. Sure, you know, it's got the vintage, vintage look. filter, man. You just put really? a different filter on each picture of the of the filter on the mixer, you know, mm-hmm. and then isolator. I, w- I would photos. I would go through my collection and pick out the cool record to put on the on the turntable next to the there mixer. It'd be tight. I get like. 45 likes at least Why four, maybe it? 46 yeah. even but the thing is is uh like he said it's maybe not the most uh conducive uh mixing tool for techno music i mean i think for house it's, or blends or stuff like that or if you're yeah. just going for like old school and you're doing the disco thing maybe yeah. but i don't know i mean i kind of when i was coming into mixing i was super inspired by the tricksters like claude young and ben sims and all those guys i mean i don't even try to do those tricks anymore but to me that was the interesting stuff and that's all rocking the faders and whatnot that's you can't do that on a rotary nope Um, and something you have to think about when like having i mean there's every two or three years there's a really interesting mixer that comes out i think there's a new one out now that we all are well aware of and the, mm-hmm. the question that has to be asked is, what is the likelihood of this becoming a standard in the clubs? Yeah. Because if you're making if you're making twenty thousand euro a gig, then what's another hundred or two hundred euro for a mixer rental? You mm-hmm. know, and saying this is the mixer that needs to be in. You can you can up the bar with your expectations, but realistically, like. If the club doesn't own it and can't easily rent the mixer, it's it's going to be a tough sell. With uh, if you come in, if I came in and asked for like a Vestax PMC fifty that hasn't sure. been made in years, then I I, I might want to be releasing that. By the way, oh really? Or a, a successor rather. Hopefully you won't need chopsticks anymore to tweak the EQs. You know, like I couldn't fit my fingers in between the EQs and I don't have like sausage fingers or anything. Yeah, you have some small hands. Thank you. Thank <laughs> but, you. Um, the, the thing is, is like, Wait a minute. Uh, in, in fairness, I, I talked to like, uh, I'm not going to mention the clubs on there, but a couple of the really big clubs and they're like, 
yeah, we tried the rotary rain out in the club here, and it sounds amazing, like maybe one of the best sounding mixers we've had in the club, but mm-hmm. really nobody wants to use it unless you got like a you know classic old school guy like I don't know maybe Danny Privet or one of these like uh kind of names leaning in that vein, you know, so um I guess for most people listening to the show you you don't need it if you're a techno guy. Probably won't be up your alley, but maybe it would be. Um, I mean, try try it out. I mean, it, it's fun. You get, you have it's just a different a different feel. And again, that particular mixer, I haven't used it, so I couldn't comment on how how responsive it is on you know the curve of the rotary uh, the, the mix and everything. But it's it's nice to try out something like that and as well and just see how it, how it might change your own approach to mixing. You know, um, but it, I think a real a real factor is what, I mean, kind of what Kyle was already talking about to a degree. It depends what the club, what clubs worldwide then kind of agree on as this is the standard we're going to have. And ultimately that dictates a lot of what, you know, you might want to become more proficient using, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really got a piece. So let's, let's wrap up the show here shortly here. Uh, let's do some plugging. Hester, you've got the record coming on dystopian. What's it called? So the record coming out on Dystopian, it's Interstellar Systems EP, and uh, just keep an eye peeled for it. It's it's coming soon. I can't. Do you say, know roughly when or not? I really? can't say exactly when because you know you know how it is. Sure, but it's uh, it's in the pipeline, and so watch for that. And then also this Afterlife um, compilation, Afterlife Number One, will be out uh, later on this month of June. Yeah, that's cool. a cool compilation too. I heard that. Uh, I think it was yesterday, the day before. It's uh, got some nice names on it and kind of spacey and vibey. So, I think it's yeah, a cool, some, some heady, some heady cuts it's a on cool there. Progression for for the Tale of Us guys. Um, Kyle, what about you? I've got uh, my next release on my label coming out. Um, that was, I there were some tracks that I. It's the the classic thing of being a label owner and reworking your tracks to death and then finally had uh, had a track that is it's called the slip ep and it's coming out in probably late july so okay yeah excellent so look for that what about um is there any podcast coming from either of you guys soon or dates you want to plug I could uh, have a calendar of podcasts I've said no to, if that works. Um, no, I think I'll, I'm going to go through. I've got some a few weeks with no bookings, and um, I'm going to go through. I've recorded almost every set this year. And so I'm going to go through and kind of sift through what content might be worth sharing with people and uh, – just release it on my own SoundCloud page, actually. I think it's a good thing. I'm going to do that myself, actually. Yeah. So. so, And then um, as far as uh, dates go, I'm going to be playing in Amsterdam this Saturday night at uh, Fade Blank. And then in a couple of weeks, I'll be with the dystopian guys in Grenoble for a night awesome. out there with nice. them. So, Excellent. Cool. Um, this weekend, you can catch me at, uh, I think it's called Royal Beach, outside of Milan, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I I actually don't have the details in front of me, but uh, I'll be doing the doing my thing there, and then uh, yeah, I just had a podcast come out this week uh, or last week on uh, reclaim your city, so check that out if you if you're looking for something kind of uh, trippy and in the zone, and 
Actually, oh yeah, I got a record coming out next week. It's the second part with me and Emmanuel. That's um, good. On Enemy versus Arts, yeah. So I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Two two really banging tracks and two deeper cuts. That'll be on vinyl, and then a couple weeks later it'll be available digitally. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. It's called um, I don't I don't remember what it's called off the top of my head. Disposable music, everybody. Something like that. Yeah. But anyway, check it out. Uh, and uh, got anything else you guys want to add before we go? Kyle? No. I've said enough. All right. Well, thank you guys for stopping by. You'll both be back, I'm sure. Um, everybody else, have a good one. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Man, 99%. My phone got charged in that. We should have just taken it a little bit longer. <laughs>